He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw what he was eating, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk shrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the, t- the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us. We thank you that we see that in the speaking of this word. God, we pray that uh, though these words weren't written specifically to us, they were written for us. And God, we pray you would help us to, to not miss that take advantage of it. We ask that you would, by your spirit, help our hearts to be open and soft before you. God, we thank you for your kindness here, present with us today. And I pray that you'd help me to speak rightly of that and not against it, that your name would be made great in our midst. Amen. Jesus has here a series of stories Mark lays out for us this kind of patchwork of four different vignettes where Jesus is stepping on toes. And we're looking at all these together because they really belong together. A lot of the the things that are at issue in each of these things, they, they relate to one another. Jesus does this. He seems to know, he does know where boundaries are for people. 
and then he goes over them. He, he finds the places where people have built up boundaries that he would say are not good. And by transgressing those boundaries, he exposes them. And he's doing that here in several different ways. He, first, he calls Levi, who we associate with Matthew because he's a tax collector, his son of Alphaeus. Um, in the gospel, sometimes people have uh, dual names. And so we think that's what's going on here. But Levi is a, a tax collector, and Jesus calls him to be a disciple of his. He says, come and follow me. And, you know, nobody loves a tax collector. No offense to IRS officials in the room. Nobody likes you. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> nobody likes your job. Um, and especially if you work on, on representing a government that has been forced upon the people, if you're as an agent of that, that government uh, that requires some betrayal, tax collectors... He's probably collecting for, not directly for Rome, but for Herod Antipas, who is backed and propped up by Rome. Uh, so he's kind of a, a stooge for, for Rome. And he's collecting tax, new taxes, probably from his neighbors. And Rome does not care if you take more than what you're supposed to. As long as they get what they're supposed to get, you know, whatever happens after that's kind of your business. As long as nobody makes problems about it. So he probably almost certainly steals from his neighbors on behalf of an empire that has invaded and set up this uh, mock government. Not a popular guy. And you can see that by the crowd that he ends up with. He invites Jesus into his home. Jesus eats there. And the only people that are present with him are more tax collectors and sinners. Whatever that might mean, you're left to imagine and the Pharisees look and say, how can this be? How, how can you, who pretend to be a teacher, pretend to be holy, call this kind of man? And then a real question is, how can you eat with him? Uh, we talked before when Jesus is healing the leper that uh, Jesus is not afraid of the leper's uncleanliness. Usually... That's how that works. If you touch someone who's unclean, you become unclean. Well, eating at somebody's table is a great place, a great venue for uncleanliness. And so Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. He's eating in that person's house. And a respectable, clean Jewish man would not do that. But Jesus does. Because the Pharisees see cleanliness as coming from outside in. Jesus will teach the opposite. The cleanliness is a matter of the heart and flows out. So Jesus eats unafraid, and they clearly have a problem with him. But Jesus gives this kind of iconic statement of why he's doing what he's doing. The physician comes to heal the sick. These are exactly the kind of people that I've come to be with. This is on purpose. And then it's kind of table issues, it's eating issues that drives the next couple of stories. And at a different time, Jesus is being asked why he and his disciples are not fasting when the Pharisees and John's disciples are fasting. Which we're not being given any reason to be suspicious of John's disciples at all. So it's, it's likely that this isn't some like weird Pharisee fast. It's probably one of the regular times of fasting in the Israel cycle of, of eating and celebrating. And that's why John's disciples are fasting. 
And Jesus says, now is not the time for fasting. The bridegroom is here. Why would the wedding party fast now? Fasting is coming. Uh, it, it'll be here. That, that'll be a good and appropriate thing to do, but, but not right now. God is doing something new. God is doing something new right here, right now, and you can't take the old thing and slap it on top of the new and think that you're going to be able to contain or, or, or receive what it is he is pouring out. So get on board. Something new is happening. And you can really see that in what happens next. When Jesus is walking through these grain fields with his disciples, and it's the Sabbath, and they, in essence, harvest grain. It's a pretty simple thing to do. If you're walking through a wheat field, you just rip the heads off the wheat stalks, and you just rub it in your hands like this, and the chaff blows off when you're left with is wheat kernels inside. You can just have a little snack easily. But that's, that's harvesting, and they're not, they're not wrong. They're not wrong that Jesus is doing something that is apparently forbidden in the law. But Jesus responds with a couple things. He could have just said one or the other, but he does both. The first thing that he does to these people, these men who know the law, they, they are not dummies, uh, he, he reaches for the Bible. And he says, don't you remember and he gives this story of, of David, who is on the run, and he's hungry, he's starving, and he goes in and eats the bread in the house of God that nobody but the priest is allowed to, to eat. And not only does he, the rightful king, eat it, but he gives it to his men with him. And Jesus, in essence, lines himself up with David and says, if David is allowed to do this, I'm allowed to do this. Which, what is he saying? Well, I'm, I'm in line, the line of David. I'm a son of David. If the king is able, I am able. And then he goes further. And he says, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And this is how Jesus talks about himself. He says, I, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This is actually what Sabbath is for. Sabbath is, is a gift. It's for your good. It is not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be a prison. Eating and being sustained is actually part of what God intends to give in the Sabbath. And I'm the Lord of it. And he demonstrates his lordship one more time in this last story when he's in the synagogue and the, the, the Pharisees are watching because they know that in this particular synagogue, there's a man who's very clearly, obviously, publicly disabled. And they just know that Jesus is not going to be able to stop himself. They know that Jesus is going to want to heal him. Because they've seen enough of him already. They know that, that Jesus is going to dial in on this person. And Jesus knows that they know. So he calls this man over to him on purpose. And he looks straight at them. Because this story is, is really about them. And says, isn't it right on the Sabbath to give life? He says, is it right to, to give life or to kill? The answer is meant to be obvious, right? You're supposed to give life on the Sabbath. And, and he's so angry and sad that these theoretical teachers and leaders 
of Israel can't even see what the Sabbath is for. And in a few words, he heals the man. He's, it's done. And the Pharisees are, are furious with all of this that they've seen. So this sequence of stories over however many days or whatever stretch of time, Jesus finds these barriers, these boundary markers that, that people have set up, and Jesus transgresses them on purpose. Jesus does this in the Gospels time and again. He will frustrate and confound and infuriate people. And he, he is doing something here to show us what he has announced. In Mark chapter 1, remember, the announcement is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and he is demonstrating what is the nature of the kingdom. And it's important to step back from the particulars of each of these individual stories and to see the larger picture of what Jesus is showing you about the kingdom. In the kingdom, what happens? Outsiders, those who are excluded, those, those who holy people might willfully exclude, they, they are included because the physician comes for the sick. In, in the kingdom, the bridegroom and his presence is a source of great joy. There is, there is feasting in the bridegroom's presence. And in fact, in the presence of the bridegroom, hungry people are fed. Bellies are full and healing happens. The sick, the crippled, they're made right. So the fruit of Jesus' ministry is on display when you when you combine all of the results of all of these things, you get this picture of what happens when the kingdom comes. And the only conclusion you can come to when you are reading this series of stories is that this is good. Jesus said this is the good news, that the kingdom is at hand. And when you look at this series and sequence of stories, you can't come to any other conclusion. This is actually just loads of goodness. There's so much life here. Jesus becomes what the Psalms talk about, how Israel is meant to be planted by streams of living water and they too would be full of life. And, and Jesus is demonstrating that when you're close to him and when you're by him, there, there is all kinds of super abundant, super generous life flowing everywhere so that all of these wrongs are being righted and the doors are being thrown open so that more can come in because there's just a super abundance of God's goodness in life. This, this is the best thing. This is the, the goodest thing that you can imagine. This, this is how the gospel goes from the word, gospel, churchy, Christianized terminology and into enfleshed reality. This is what good news looks like. And this is what Jesus comes to do. Everybody who has thought they were too far away, they can now be included. And this probably offends not just Pharisees, it probably offends everybody. Because nobody likes tax collectors. Not just Pharisees, everybody thought they were too good for tax collectors. And here's Levi, not just in the room, but he's one of the disciples. These times of ordinary fasting, of devotion to God. And again, 
fasting is good. You're not meant to take this away and say, well, I don't have to fast anymore. Jesus says kind of the opposite of that. There is a time for fasting. You're living in it right now, which I have to hear and be reminded of that regularly. But when you're with him, when he's at the table with you, fasting is over. It's time to feast. He provides for his people. The kingdom is so good because Jesus is so good. The kingdom is marked by generosity because Jesus is marked by generosity. He is so attractive to so many people because he has so much for them. But there is, while there's loads of good news in, in these stories, there is also very clearly a warning. It is very tempting and easy to read the Gospels and see Pharisees as just the villains. It's, it's way, way too simple to do that. And in fact, in, in the, the history of the church, there's been plenty of people who don't understand anything about Pharisees, will in fact just leap to say they're just bad, will in fact then just use Pharisees to leverage their own hatred of Jewish people in general. And it's easy just to write off this block of people in the Gospels and just say, man, aren't those guys terrible? But you need to understand who the Pharisees were. Because they're, they're more complex than just being villains. In fact, these are people who really care that Israel follows Israel's God. It really matters to them. And they want Israel to hear the word of the Lord and to obey it. These are people who are very concerned that Israel might wander away from obedience to the God of Israel. All these are good things. These are good concerns. Because the Pharisees are living just a few hundred years away from Israel's return from exile. Why did Israel end up in exile? Because they detoured from the word of God. And the Pharisees are saying, we do not want that to happen. They are driven by concern that Israel would wander away from following the God of Israel. In a lot of ways, they're afraid. They're driven by fear that Israel would hop off of this train. Are they people... Who are Pharisees? Are there people that are you know, consumed with power and want to be in charge? Yes, of course. But there's lots of Pharisees, Pharisees out there, and by and large, what they're looking to see is faithfulness to God. But their nose is so close to the trees, they can't see the forest. So when Jesus is saying to them, hey, guys, there's a new wineskin here. There's new wine being poured out. He's speaking to them so that they too would receive what he gives. But if you, if you read this story, you can be them. There are two ways of life, not only in this passage, but in all the scriptures. There is the way of wisdom. There's the way of life that is following God. And there is the way of death and destruction. Those are the only two options in front of you. And the way of the Pharisee is in front of you. 
It may be easy to put yourself in the text and say, man, those guys, those are the worst. But the truth is, anybody can be a Pharisee. And if I am completely honest, the odds are if I lived then, I would probably be a Pharisee. Because their concerns line up with a lot of mine. I care about what the text says. I care about being faithful to the text. I care about carrying on the traditions of the people following God. It is easy for me to see myself as a Pharisee. Maybe those things don't sound like you at all. It doesn't have to be like you. The, the desire, the impetus to control the door of who comes in and who comes out. The desire to try to analyze and diagnose the interior state of people's lives by what you see on the outside. You can be that way wherever you are on any kind of social, political, racial, economic spectrum. Are, are conservatives Pharisees? You bet. Are liberals Pharisees? 100%. Are rich people Pharisees? Yes. Are poor people Pharisees? Absolutely. White people, black people, brown people, there are Pharisees everywhere because we all like to control the criteria of belonging and make sure that it matches just like me. And so the idea that Jesus might go into the world and invite those people. And whatever you are thinking of when I say those people, that's who I mean. If those people vote too liberal for you, Jesus would go knock on their door. If those people sleep with the wrong kind of people, Jesus would go knock on their door. If those people think too differently, spin too differently, talk too differently, those are the kind of people that Jesus would go knock on that door. Jesus does exactly this with you and me, what he has done with the Pharisees in the Gospels. Whatever boundaries that you and I have created, he will transgress them so that you will see where your boundaries and his do not line up, because that's what really matters. And what's really tempting to do is to be driven by fear, just like the Pharisees. I don't want those liberals over here, because it'll like leak off of them. I don't want those anti-mask people in our church, because it'll be in the air or something. I don't want those people with all those different cultural customs to be over here. They literally smell different than I like. I don't want them to be over here. Jesus sees all the kinds of categories that you and I are afraid of, and he does not respect those boundaries. He sees people who are sick, and he comes to heal them, regardless of their voting record, regardless of their, their sexual history, regardless of the ways that you and I might even know that they're wrong. Note, Levi probably is actually kind of a thief. That's probably not made up. He probably is like that. And it's not like Jesus doesn't care about that. You and I want to see change before invitation. You clean yourself up. 
You start thinking right, voting right, living right, then you can come in. Jesus works the opposite. You come in, and then I will change you. Levi gets treated this way. He is, in fact, changed. He ends up a very much radically changed man. Jesus does deal with him. So any of, any of y'all's fears, if you're in the room with Jesus in that moment, he, he deals with us. He changes Levi. He doesn't. Jesus is after the interior world and making you clean from the inside out. You and I, by nature and habit, operate like Pharisees. If I am too close to those people, whoever those people are, they will make me unclean. And that is not how it works in the kingdom. This is troubling. It is disturbing. For the Pharisees, it is infuriating. The end of this last story is they are willing to conspire with the Herodians to kill Jesus because of what he is doing. They, in every other circumstance, are not allies with the Herodians. They are opposed to the Herodians. These are people who are politicians, pragmatic power wielders. They, they are not in the Pharisees' list of friends, but they will make friends with those people if they will help them kill Jesus. That is how angry It'll make you when Jesus does what he does. The warning here is, you better watch out. Because the Pharisees are not sitting there and thinking, I don't love God anymore. Actually, now I'm opposed to God. I want to kill God. That's not what they're thinking. What they're thinking is, it would honor God for me to kill Jesus. Don't be so foolish as to think that you could not be a Pharisee. And you can make yourself feel good while you do it. I know that I've done it time and time again. Jesus' kingdom is marked by superabundant generosity. Super abundant food falling off the table because there's so much generosity. There is enough to stand at the door and to invite anybody to come in. Anybody. The people that scare you, the people that concern you, the people that, that think the wrong way, that do the wrong way, all those people, those people, the sick people that Jesus loves, there's enough for them they can come in and Jesus will make them clean from the inside out and you also will still be clean with him. Because being with Jesus is being a, re a receiver of this kind of generosity time and time again. And if you're here today and you, you have lived for a long time, perhaps hearing the invitation that Levi heard, you haven't heard it one time, You've heard it 1,000 times. And you've said no, 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 no. And what I'm here to tell you is the good news is Jesus will still be generous with you. 
he won't cut you off from his generosity. If you have rejected him over and over and over again, today he still has enough for you. He is not going to run out for you today. If you have outright in his face spit and said, no, thank you, Today, if you do not harden your heart, but hear his invitation and come, he has the whole thing for you now. And if you are here today and you are recognizing, I think I've lived for a long time being the gatekeeper, the arbiter for all kinds of other people. I've lived in fear of this person or those people, or that thing. And you are suddenly realizing that you have carried the weight of the Pharisee on your shoulders. I have good news for you too. Jesus will be generous with you. See, as much as we want to hear the villains in the story of the Pharisees and we just write them off, Jesus never says, you're done forever. You're out. He has generosity for Nicodemus, who in the moment cannot understand what Jesus would tell him in one conversation, and by the end of the Gospel of John is following him. If you have played the part of the Pharisee, and in your own hardness of heart, and your own fear, and your own self-protection, and self-purifying, if you're suddenly realizing that this has been you, Jesus will be generous with you too. The good news of the kingdom is here for you as well. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand, and it is for you. The table is set. The bridegroom, this son of David, the Lord of the Sabbath, is coming to give you everything that God always intended for people to have. That your, your existence will be lived in the acknowledgement that everything you have, God has provided by the hand of his own work. So the first and last day of your life in God is always Sabbath. Perpetual gratitude in living and receiving of the superabundance of his generosity. This is the best news. Today, if you hear his voice, come in to this. If you feel far away, the kingdom is close to you today. If you have rejected him, he will not reject you. If you have given up hope, he has not given up hope. If you have been beset by illness, by, by crippling, debilitating fear, anger, sin, he would look at you and heal you in a moment. He has enough for you. If you would hear his voice today, wherever you are in the spectrum of belief, respond to him and let him provide for you all of the goodness that flows from him to everlasting, to everlasting, the table always set to overflowing for his children. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness towards us, your covenant faithful love love that we have turned away from, love that we have minimized, that we have undersold. God, we, we are uncomfortable with what Jesus does in our lives. 
And we have, we have put Jesus' name on our discomfort at times. We've used religious language to make ourselves feel better for not wanting to go where Jesus wants to lead us. God, we have often been hypocrites. We ask for your mercy. We ask that you would forgive us and your generosity. God, I pray that you would help us to see the goodness of the good news of Jesus. God, I pray for those who are, who are sick at heart, who are weary, who are hungry. And they would see that Jesus is their great hope. And that in his kingdom, when the bridegroom is present, all of this is satisfied. God, would you help those who are waiting eagerly and expectantly to endure until that day? Father, would you help those of us to, to see that we are still the people for whom Jesus has come. We are still the people who receive. We are still the ones who have been unexpectedly called, who have been unexpectedly fed and healed. God, would you make our hearts leap with gratitude and thanks. And Father, I pray for those who might be here who have heard you call like Levi has heard you call and may have rejected you time and again. Father, I pray that today your voice would go straight to the middle of who they are and they would know that you mean them and you mean now. Jesus, I pray that they would not wait any longer, but instead respond quickly with haste. God, would you protect us from ourselves, from our own sin. God, would you help us to be a people who stand at the door and beckon, invite, who are ready to go out and bring more to the party, no matter where they come from, no matter their state. God, make us a people who are motivated and inflamed by love for you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for loving us for giving to us so gener generously, for caring for us today and every day. It's in your name we pray, amen.